Amen. Well, before I dive into our passage of study for this morning, I have one more announcement. It's a really exciting announcement, okay? Do you guys get excited about weddings? I get really excited about weddings. There's the great announcement. Next Sunday after church, we're hosting a wedding. Yeah. You want to know who it's for? Will and Brenda, okay? So praise the Lord. We want to invite you guys just to stick around after the service next week while they share some vows uh, together to each other and before God as we celebrate uh, their coming together as a family uh, and their marriage. So guys, we're so excited for you. We love you. We're so thankful to see your example of love and obedience to God. And uh, we're, we're going to be there to celebrate with you. We can't lo- wait to, to see it. So uh, note about that. You don't have to dress fancy, okay? Wear what you would wear to church, okay? We're going to keep it pretty laid back. Uh, they are at some point probably going to have another ceremony where they do everything all out, okay? So come witness, be here to celebrate the work of God uh, in their marriage together. So congratulations, guys. We love you. All right. Well, let's pray and ask God to be with us as we come to Hebrews 12 this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are the consuming fire of grace and holiness. We pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and lives that would be transformed by the words that we hear this morning. God, would you speak through me? Let your words be greater than my words. Would you encourage and challenge your people? And would you help us to respond in a way that glorifies you? In Jesus' name, amen. Mike said something in his little uh, talk with me about the local church that I think is really helpful to highlight again. The local church is the hope of the world. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that the local church is the hope of the world? You know, every time I get to do membership classes, I get to participate in something that I really love about that process, and it's membership interviews. It's where I get to sit down with people uh, face-to-face and get to ask them a few questions like, what do you do? What's life like right now for you? What are you excited about? And then my favorite question to ask them is, how did you become a Christian? And there's one thing that I often hear as people talk about their transformation going from spiritual death into life by Christ. And it's often that they had somebody in their life who was a Christian who had something compelling about them that they desired. Friends, I'm going to make the argument this morning that the local church should be a compelling community. That we should be a compelling community. You know, when we come to gather together Sunday to Sunday to worship, there are things that we've experienced in church life that we would say were really good desires. And we've probably also gone through negative experiences, right? Have, has anybody been part of a negative experience in their previous churches? Okay, yes, I have been involved in negative situations. Gene's just laughing over here. <laughs> I love it. He's like, ha ha, yes. H- have you been part of good experiences in your church before too? Praise the Lord. Hopefully we're adding to more good than negative here at the Ephraim Church of Hope for you. Uh, But the reality is, is that there are things that make churches good and things that make churches 
bad. And what we have to do is sift through what's preferential to see what's essential that comes down to the truth of gospel ministry together. The local church should be the hope of the world. And the local church is a compelling community, not because we make it a compelling community, but because God himself supernaturally is working in and through us, broken sinners to unite us together under one hope, one message, one essential gathered body and example that's living and breathing called the church. The local church should be compelling. So what makes a church compelling? Let's dialogue a little bit about this this morning. What do you guys think makes a church compelling? Give me some ideas. Fighting. (laughs) Oh, inviting. I was like, bro, we were talking about compelling, not like a bad thing, right? Okay, inviting, they're inviting. So let's talk about that for a second, right? So when we say inviting, what do you mean, Michael? An inviting church. Awesome. Okay, so people are excited to see you. They want to connect with you. That's, that's great. They're inviting. Okay, they're warm and they're welcome. All right. Other ideas. What makes a church compelling? Unity. Oh, Josue, talk to me about unity, bro. Okay, what do you mean by unity? Yeah. Right, okay. So we're together. We stay together. And I think the idea behind staying together is even in spite of maybe differences, that we're united together around something that's bigger and greater than us. Okay, that's good. Uh, Unity makes a church compelling. What else? Maybe two more. The caring. Okay. Gail, talk to me about a caring church. What do you mean by caring? Amen. So there's a personal investment, right? They care about you as an individual, not just the fact that you are a butt in a chair, but that you are a person who is living and breathing and has been made by God in his image. Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. One more. They're standing on the word of God. Thank you, Devin, for landing the plane there. That is a great thing. What do you mean by standing on the word of God? Amen. Amen. What we, we care about each other. We invite people in. We actually like, have a desire to, to be together, not because of anything in and of ourselves, but because of the truth that we see that's united in the Bible. Praise the Lord. The church stands on the word. That's a compelling church. Now, let me just ask you, what makes a church not compelling in light of that? Fighting. Ah, oh, there it is. Okay. Fighting. Okay, talk to me about things that churches fight over. Doctrine. Okay. Those could be good fights, though, right? <laughs> it depends. <laughs> We're going to fight afterwards about this. <laughs> right? There could be, okay, there could be maybe, let's put it in light of, when we think of doctrinal triage, what's primary, what's secondary, and where there's areas of liberty, often the fighting that happens around churches and doctrine is through what's either an area of secondary significance or area of liberty. Okay, that could be a negative, right? Okay. Miscommunication. Ooh. Okay, what's that look like, Josue? 
No communication, yeah. There's a, like an underlying assumption, right, of people. I, I've heard a proverb about the, the word assume, but I'm not going to say it because I feel unsanctified if I do. <laughs> okay, yeah, assumptions maybe in miscommunication or maybe even in that mis, uh, misconception about the way somebody's saying something, right? Maybe they, they're coming across sharp and you think, man, this person just wants to attack me. They don't actually care about me. Okay? That, that could be uh, a negative example of a non-compelling community. Another? Two more. Hypocrisy. Oh, talk to me about that, brother. I think Jesus said it along the lines of like putting lipstick on the pig. Right, yeah, that's hypocrisy, right? Yeah, you look nice and you're shiny on the outside. You say all the right things. You may even want to desire to do the right things, but when it comes down to the rubber meeting the road, it's just not there, right? Empty promises behind heavy words. Somebody, I think somebody said music. The fight, that's fight over music. Okay. Talk to me about a non-compelling church music. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The smoke, <laughs> the, the fog machine and the lights, baby, right? Looks good. It's an excellent musical production, but at the heart of it, there may be something lacking, right? Where's the sermon? <laughs> yes, that's true. That is true. That is true about some churches where there are lots and lots of songs and not any preached word, right? It, or the, the word that's preached is like light, and it's a 10, 15-minute sermon. I'm here to warm you this morning and tell you that this is not going to be a 10 or that there is something that I think is unique about what, are the, what we look at that's compelling and what we look at that's non-compelling. In each of those buckets or categories, there's not only the individual in light of those things, there's the corporate that's behind those things. It's not just individuals. It is a collective gathering that's important, right? Because at the end of the day, we may be Uh, discontent with the church's music, but that may be our own individual choice in the matter, our own individual preference. Uh, Maybe the way that they're doing doing their music corporately is something that's hindering 
one another in its entirety. There can be both an individual element and a corporate element to this. I believe Hebrews 12 verses 14 through 29 shows us what a compelling community looks like. And so my argument again is that we, the church, are called to live out gospel peace and holiness together in such a way that we are a compelling community. We're called to be a compelling community. Based upon the principles we see here in Hebrews 12, I think there are three ideas to communicate to you. A compelling community first watches out for each other. Compelling community first watches out for each other. Second, a compelling community draws near to God with confidence. A compelling community draws near to God with confidence. And finally, a compelling community listens to God's word with thankfulness. A compelling community listens to God's word with thankfulness. So let's look at this first idea. A compelling community watches out for each other. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 13, the author has pointed us to this illustration of running a race. And the, the emphasis of that particular passage is on the individual. He is warning these Christians, telling them that they may be struggling to persevere in their immediate context because they've forgotten the loving discipline of God. He's, they've forgotten individually how God speaking to them, rebuking them, correcting them is for their good. And so they have undervalued discipline from the Lord, and that has probably hindered their immediate context. But in, cha- in verse 12, the author shifts the focus from the individual to the entire body, where he says, Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. He's shifting the the focus outside of just the individual's work into then the corporate context of that. And we see this especially come to light in verse 14, where he says this, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. So the admonition has changed from including just the individual now to including the word everyone in verse 14. We are to what? Pursue peace and holiness. I think that verse 14 is actually the kicker for the rest of the passage that's here. We're to to pursue peace and holiness. What does that look like? Verses 15 all the way through to 29. So the first way that we can walk out a compelling community together is by watching out for one another. Look at the rest of verses 14 through 17. Without it, no one will see the Lord. That's without pursuing peace and holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. A compelling community watches out for each other. And notice this, he describes three different types of people. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Those that fall short of the grace of God throughout the book of Hebrews have been those who have listened to the word and have not responded with life change. We can fall short of the grace of God through our unbelief. 
through our lack of believing God at his word. We're to watch out for one another to make sure that when we hear the words of the Lord, when we hear the Bible proclaimed to one another, we don't just give lip service to it, and we don't just hear it, let it go in one ear and out the other, but that we actually have a belief that's centered around what God says. We take God at his word. I think that's why what Devin said about a compelling church standing on the word is so essential. Guys, if we don't believe the Bible, what are we standing on? If we don't together say that the Bible's our authority, we don't live out the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura, that, that the Bible is the ultimate authority that guides us and teaches us, corrects us, encourages us, instructs us, so that we may become complete, we're just standing upon words of other people that lead to what? Being incomplete. We have to watch out for one another by making sure we actually believe the word. So guys, what does this look like in your Sunday-to-Sunday interaction or your Monday-through-Saturday interaction? This means actually taking the time to open the Bible together. Okay? You're reading God's Word together. Many of us come to the Bible with preconceived notions. Right? How many of you have heard this saying, God helps those who help themselves? Have you heard that? Okay. Is that in the Bible? No, no, that's just a popular proverb, right? I literally had somebody come to me and say, my favorite passage in the Bible is, God helps those who help themselves. So I said, can you give me the chapter and verse, please? You know what their response was? Crickets, right? Because they couldn't find it. It's not there, right? Or they have misconceived notions because they've listened to the History Channel and heard somebody say something about the Bible saying this, and they haven't actually explored it for themselves. Believing in the Bible, watching out for one another, is by actually opening up the Bible and seeing what it actually says. And now we need to make sure that we have good skills as we do that. Okay? So I'll make a suggestion to you. The suggestion is this. Don't just flip open your Bible to any particular passage and say, my word for the day is this, because I just did it, and it's Luke 1, and it's Mary's praise. Okay, praising the Lord, where she says, My soul praises the greatness of of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Okay, if I was going to use that as my devotional for the day, right, and I didn't anchor that to the rest of Luke 1, what was happening before or what was happening after, I could come across with a message like something along the lines like this, God is giving me favor because I'm serving him. First of all, is this passage about me? No. <laughs> no. Is this, second, is this passage even about Mary? No. What's her song focusing around? The praise of the Lord. The praise of the Lord for delivering on his promises. What is this promise? Well, it might have something to do with what was happening maybe in Luke 1, verses 1 through 45. What happened there? An angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to a son. So first of all, right, she's like, angel, how's that going to happen? I'm not married, and I haven't done the deed. How can I bear a child? There's some serious issues with this, but the Lord's giving her a promise. You're going to give birth to a son, and this son will be the one who rescues his people from their sin. And so in light of that, her praise is not for the the deliverance of a son that she's going to give birth to. 
but on the deliverance of the Son who would rescue God's people. That's why the Lord is great in His praise. So we can very easily misconceive the truth of the Bible by just opening it and pointing to a verse and thinking immediately about how it applies to us. When we open our Bibles together, we need to ask a few questions. Number one, ask this. What is this verse actually saying? What's happening before and after this passage? Okay. Number two, what does it tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about God? Number three, what does this passage tell me about man? What does it tell me about humans? Then number four, how does this passage apply to me? That's what it looks like to open up our Bibles and to watch out for one another. Doing that together. So that is something you can do on your own, yes. But something we especially need to do in the light of the context of Hebrews 12, together. So our small groups, our core seminars, our one-to-one Bible groups that Caleb was just saying we're going to talk about next week, we want to open God's Word and say, okay, we're a people of the book. We're people of the book. We care about what we believe. We want it to be orthodox and true and consistent with this message. Guys, watch out for each other by making sure that you actually believe the truth of the Bible. And when you have misconceptions... We need to get over the uncomfortable feeling of pointing out misconceptions by asking good questions like, does it really say that? It, like, let's, let's open this up. Let's look at the, the context here. Right before this, this is what's happening. Right after this is what's happening. Maybe it seems like this is actually more of the emphasis here. Do you see this? The, the way you do that is with an open Bible. Open your Bible together. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God in their unbelief. The second thing he says is that we're to make sure that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. You know, one of the most significant ways that churches split is through discontentment. Discontentment which is really what settles into that. There's a problem, and what we do rather than addressing the problem is we let bitterness do its thing. You know what bitterness is like? It's like drinking poison and hoping that it hurts somebody else. We we say, hey, you know, this is the problem. The church doesn't care about this age demographic. The church doesn't care about what I want to see in kids' ministry. The church doesn't care about, you guys, you fill in the blank. You've probably been around this. Maybe you've even had your own discontentment with, with church, right? Usually, when we let that settle, and when we don't do something about it, what happens? We become bitter with that particular context, and our desire is to no longer be part of that context, so we move on, right? See, that's the thing. You know, it's a lot easier to do that here in Hebron than it is in Oradea. In Romania, right? Because I know one gospel-preaching church over there. So if I'm discontent with Mike, I'm forced with the practicality of my context of actually like maybe having to do something more than I would here in Hebron. Hey, you know how many churches are in Hebron? There are three, like at least three gospel-preaching churches right here. Now, some of those things... 
Some of the disc- things that make us discontent could be things that are good reasons to leave for a church. Right? Like, think about the idea of, like, kids. Okay, kids' ministry. Say, say it's just not happening, and you've brought it up, you've had a conversation about it, and you're like, hey, you know, I think it's really important that we teach kids the Bible. And they go, yeah, yeah, that's nice, that's nice. We'll, we'll get to it when we're ready. Okay? Well, I think if that's something that's really important to you, that your family in its entirety is served by biblical teaching, and that means particularly that your kids have a unique context where they hear the word of God proclaimed in a way that's engaging to them and helps them spiritually flourish, that may be something to consider. It may not be the top thing, but it may be a good thing to consider in finding another church. I don't think it's the only thing, but I think it's something to think about. Now, it's different if you have a church, let's say they're not preaching the Bible at all. You want to hear my advice for that? Run. Run from that place. Don't stay there. Rebuke it. Say, the church stands upon the word. And if they're not standing upon the word, say something and leave. Be in a place where you're not letting the root of bitterness overcome you. Notice this too, that when one individual becomes bitter, this passage says that it causes trouble and defiles many. Okay, you guys, let's be honest with each other for a moment, okay? You, you've been probably in a church where there's been one issue, maybe that's risen out of somebody, and wh- what happens? The next step is then they go in and they, they talk to other people about it, right? Right. So in, in conflict, what we should do is when we have a problem with someone, we should address that person, right? So if you address that person, and then you can have a conversation, if correction can happen there, then praise the Lord. That's... That's a good walkthrough. But often what happens is we get nervous about talking with that person. Like, hey, listen, I'm not condemning anybody. I've done this myself, okay? You get nervous about talking with that person, so you get advice from other people. And what you've done in getting your advice is you actually build up like a little army that's with your position, right? It doesn't have to be a big army. It could be just two or three other people where you're like, hey, this is what I think about this. Is this something that I should really do? You know, is is this bothering you too? And then all of a sudden, now you're coming to a, a meeting where there's other people. And this, it's like, you know what? I've been simmering for like two months, and now I'm ready to say something. Because this is going to drive me nuts. So I go ahead, and I'm like, this bothers me. Now, that can hurt a lot of people in the process, can't it? And what it comes down to is, at the beginning of the process, I didn't do what was biblically responsible for me as the individual. Go and actually go to the source of the problem, not go to others and talk about the source of the problem. Go to the source. Right right there, Matthew 5, Matthew 18, responsibility is on the individual to go. Go and talk with the person that you have sinned against or that is sinning against you. Don't build up the army. Go to each other individually. Because what we do in the process, if we don't do that, is we defile many. Maybe you weren't aware that that was a problem, right? But all of a sudden, you've got people around you that are like, you know what, this is a problem. It could be unhelpful. 
Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping that somebody else gets hurt. And then the final example of somebody to, something to watch out for in each other is where in verses 16 and 17, it says, make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. So Jacob and Esau, you guys know the story? Where's it from? Okay, what chapter? Close. No, 25. Genesis 25. Okay, a little bit earlier. Okay, Jacob and Esau. Genesis 25, what happens here is uh, Isaac is about to die. Okay, and he's on his deathbed. He's really just like sick. He can't see much. And, uh, and Esau goes to Isaac and is like, I want my birthright. And he's like, go and catch this meal for me. Bring it back I, and, and I will bless you. Okay, so Esau goes out for the hunt. Jacob comes in because Isaac's wife says, hey, your dad's about to give away his blessing. You got to do something about this, right? Jacob comes in with the hairy, you know, he comes in the Chewbacca costume, basically, stands before Isaac, does the little growl thing. <laughs> he goes, oh, it's Esau, right? And, you know, uh, that's not, it's kind of how it works, but not exactly how it works, right? Jacob comes in and he steals Esau's inheritance, right? Okay, so that's not a mark of godliness, okay? We're not uh, saying that Jacob's actions were acceptable here, but he did this, and then Esau, when he comes back, he basically is having this wrestling moment with Jacob, and he's like, well, I want the blessing. He's like, well, I'll do it and take care of the meal, and I'm just going to take the reward. So he, he gives him his blessing at the cost of a meal, and then later on, when he goes to inherit the blessing, as he's talking with Isaac, and he's like, I've come to receive my reward, Isaac's like, I've already given it away. But Esau's reaction tells us everything. Esau, what he does in Genesis 25, 26, 27, is he responds by basically going with bitterness. And, and he says, well, I deserved this. I was worthy of this. You know what Esau's problem was? He had a sense of selfishness that was rooted in immediate gratification. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it right now. Anybody else got toddlers? (laughs) That sounds familiar, uh uh-huh, right? I want it, and I want it now. This has been the battle the last few days with me and Maeve. (laughs) I want a lollipop, and I want it now. And I'm like, no. You know what she does? She stands in front of the cabinet and looks for the lollipop. <laughs> and I'm like, move, child. She's like, she is not whatsoever bothered. I am in for it, guys. I am under the rule of a tyrant in my home that is significantly younger than I am. <laughs> it's not easy, but I've got to stay strong with her, right? I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> so she's heard more than in the nose in the last few days than I think she has in her whole life. <laughs> but we're, we're in that stage. And what she wants is the immediate thing that will bring her joy. Now, I could be tempted to be like, you know what, I don't want to fight this battle, so I'm just going to give her the stinking lollipop. But I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stand my ground. Okay, You can't have lollipops for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
Your teeth are going to fall out. It's not good for you. There are times where in our desire, we want what we want right away, and that often looks like blessing from God without the work of being disciplined to gain his blessing. The Christian life is a long haul, not a sprint. We talked about that last week. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So we could be praying, Lord, give me a, a, a spouse. Lord, help me to grow in holiness. There could be really short-term gains that could also be long-term focus that we need to have. And all that centers around our contentment in God himself, not our contentment in what we desire. Guys, this, these are the things we need to be on the watch for within each other. There's a responsibility. Make sure that no one falls short of these things. You notice this? Make sure, look, look guys, look at your Bible, look at verse 15. Make sure that no one falls short. Guys, we have a responsibility to each other. That's why in our membership practices here at Hebrew Church of Hope, we have a church covenant. We have a church covenant where we say, we will walk together in brotherly admonition, brotherly affection. Guys, I need you to care for me. I need you to watch out for me that no root of bitterness forms in my heart. That I'm not driven by immediate gratification. That I don't believe God's word. Guys, you need each other in these things. Because alone, we're just tempted to fall into things that are not, verse 14, pursuing peace and holiness. Compelling community watches out for each other. We need to take responsibility. It's not just from the pastor to the people. It's not just from the elders to the people. It's not just from the deacons to the people. It's from, we are all members of this church. We're members of the same body. We need to care for each other. We have a responsibility. It's mutual. It's a two-way street. We have to walk it out together. There are going to be times where somebody's got to initiate. And more often than not, I'll just give you this piece of advice. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Pursue it. Pursue peace and holiness with everybody. Oh, man. I was hoping that I could preach this all in 30 minutes. That's gone out the window. (laughs) Okay. Point number two. Draw near. A compelling community draws near with confidence. Verses 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet, and to the sound of words. Those who heard it begged, that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. How can we watch out for each other? We can only watch out for each other because God has delivered us. Notice this, draw near with confidence. In these verses, the author gives us a comparison and contrast. The, the comparison is between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. 
And the contrast is between what was negatively received in fear in Sinai and what is received with rejoicing in the city of Zion. The, the driving application that has been throughout the book of Hebrews, specifically from chapter 10 onward, has been to draw near to God himself with confidence. As he's developed this point, he said that we can draw near because Jesus has shed his blood for us. He has entered into the most holy place so that we can be made right with God. There's actual atonement, an atonement that isn't just temporary, an atonement that is eternal if we have faith in the Lord Jesus alone. He's called us to persevere by our faith in what Jesus has done, not just as individuals, but now together. And that leads us to drawing near with confidence because our confidence isn't in just what's immediate in front of us, but what's eternally in front of us. That's the city of God that we will belong to. Guys, what happened this past week? A stinking election, right? You guys been watching that? You notice something like, for the last six weeks, every political guru has been telling us that there was going to be a Republican wave. I was hopeful. Guess what has not happened? A Republican wave. This is, the, there's, whatever your, your political conviction is, like, doesn't really matter to me, okay? You, like, make your decisions based upon what the Bible says and what you think is biblically consistent. But the political gurus have promised us something that they couldn't live up to. Now, as we've gone into election season, maybe we've had hope in seeing some changes, right? I don't know about you, but when I got oil recently, I was sick and tired of the oil prices, right? I don't know about you, but things at the grocery store look a lot more expensive right now than they ever have, right? I feel like I have to sell off my my left leg just to pay for some stuff around the house, and to make sure my family's taken care of. I'm kind of tired of that. And I understand there's like national and international things that are going on that may be affecting all of this. But you know what I'm really tired of? Politicians not delivering on their promises. You know what that's just reminded me of? My allegiance isn't first to America. It's first to the kingdom of God. Now, I am a proud American. I love being an American. I love that I can stand right here and not face persecution for preaching the word of Jesus. Now, my perse- I think persecution's coming, and I'm ready. Send me to jail if I need to go. That's fine. I'll, I'm going to preach the word. That's what I'm going to do. That's coming. I think that's true. But listen, what I'm doing here, I can do with comfort and freedom. And I bet you for Mike and Denise, it probably looks a little different in Romania. There may be more persecution that is actually on the face of what they do Sunday to Sunday that we just would never have to think about. Contexts are different. But notice here, in Sinai, they come with fear and trembling, but the author gives them confidence by showing them they belong to the city of the living God. So, okay, we didn't see, the, I don't even think they finished counting the, the votes. I don't know how they do these things, man. They've got all these computers and they tell you exactly what's going to happen. They, they make these projections, but apparently the projections aren't done, right? The, the vote is not finished. We don't know. 
what it is. But the only way we can have hope this week is not in how the U.S. Senate turns out or how the House of Representatives turns out. It's hope in the God who's alive and is, as Hebrews 12, 29 says, a consuming fire. That's where our hope is, in God himself, the city that we belong to. Notice how he describes this, the city of the living God, where there are a myriad of angels. It's a festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven to a judge who is God over all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the covenant, to sprinkle blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Let me be part of that city. Let's go there. Come, Lord Jesus. Let that be our reality. Guys, that's where your confidence is, not in what's in this kingdom, but what's in God's kingdom. Your eternity is set in a way there's going to be a festive gathering. I like joyful occasions. I want to look forward to that joyful occasion where I and you together are with the firstborn, the saints, the saints of all time who have been proclaiming and and hoping and waiting for Jesus to reign. That's the gathering we get to be involved in, where the, the spirits of the righteous have been made perfect, where we will no longer have the aches and pains of today, but we will be with God in perfection. And we will be with our mediator, the Lord Jesus, who's made a way for us. That's where our hope is, being with him, not being in this kingdom. So draw near with confidence. And ultimately, a compelling community, as they recognize that they belong to another kingdom, is one that listens to God's word with thankfulness. See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. In light of all this, don't reject the one who speaks. For they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on the earth. Even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Compelling communities listen to God's word with thankfulness. See, this all hinges upon verse 25. Don't reject this. Don't reject this news. Remember, he's talking to these people about persecution, perseverance, in light of where they are. He's telling them, have faith. Listen to God's words. Accept his correction. Not only accept his correction, but watch out for each other. Draw near to God who you belong to. Guys, again, don't reject these words. Do you hear the preacher calling out to his people? Guys, we need to call out to each other like this. Guys, don't reject God's word. Don't reject it. Don't reject the grace that he's given us in his word. It's not always pretty. It is often painful, but it is God's word. Don't reject it. Embrace it because... There's going to be a day where the fear and trembling that they experienced at Mount Zionai is going to look like a small little rumble in light of the earthquake that is God's consuming fire in his judgment where he will shake the world with his word. So what do we do? We listen with thankfulness. He's given us light. He's given us life. 
He is the holy God. I think of that song we just sang, Only a Holy God. Man, that's, that's the anthem of response of this passage right here. Come and behold him, the one and the only. Cry out and sing, holy, only a holy God. I want to be part of a compelling community. I'm so thankful that I'm part of a compelling community. I want to grow to be more compelling. But ultimately, not just for the here and now to see more people here or this or that, but so that we're actually walking this out together. I want to see us do this together. I'm hopeful we can do this together. If we trust in the Lord, if we take his word with thankfulness and we consider these things, we watch out for each other and we we do this with joy. The local church is the hope of the world. There's no other replacement. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe the local church is the hope of the world? If you do, will you sacrifice everything to make the living and being part of that church one of the most important things of your life? If so, let's run. Let's run the race. Let's do it together for the glory of God. Let's look to our eternal city where we'll belong with him and we'll sing his praises forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this exhortation from Hebrews 12 to actually care about how we together walk out the perseverance of our faith as we watch out for one another, as we draw near to you with confidence, and as we receive your word with thankfulness. I pray that you would continue to build a gospel church here that is glorifying to you. We pray that you would use us not only here in this context, but in any way that you can. We look forward to your kingdom that will come. God, help us to engage in your will, to be obedient, to persevere with thankfulness together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think now, is it Lord's Supper first or giving first?